Hello and welcome to the Public Procurement Podcast with me, Peter Tells. The interviewee today is Piotr Bogdanovic, Assistant Professor in European Law at the University of Warsaw. Piotr is also a legal advisor and has authored more than 40 articles on European Union law and public law over the years. As with the previous podcast, the main topic for, for the, today's conversation is once more cross-border interest in public procurement, particularly the complex test created by the European Court of Justice in the early 2000s. Piotr, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Hi, Pedro. Uh, it's great to have you here. I'm really, really thankful that you were able to make yourself available for the podcast, especially at such an early hour in the day. <laughs> My pleasure. So, as I said, I would like to start this podcast, as I did the last one, to talk about cross-border interest in public procurement. So, in your view, why do you think that cross-border interest is important in EU public procurement law? Starting from the beginning, in fact, cross-border interest is important in EU law because if we don't deal with the cross-border interest, then we have a so-called purely internal situation. So we cannot use, for instance, freedoms of internal market. And as far as EU public procurement law is concerned, the situation is the same. It limits the scope of EU public procurement law. And in principle, if we deal with a cross-border interest, then EU public procurement directive have to be followed. And moreover, all the general principles of EU public procurement uh, law have to be followed as well. And that's the main problem, because if we apply EU public procurement directive, then the situation in principle, in theory, is very simple. We follow public procurement directives if some certain thresholds are exceeded. But if we don't exceed this threshold, the, the situation is more interesting because according to the European Court of Justice, we should follow EU public procurement rules like non-discrimination or equality or transparency, even if in such cases. And that's the problem of, of the definition of cross-border interest. In the last podcast, I was talking with Andrew Sundstrand about the same topic. And one of the things that we discussed was that for contracts above the financial thresholds of the directives that justify the application of the directive, there's no assessment whatsoever of the cross-border interest of those contracts. You just apply your law because they have a value over that threshold. The cross-border interest only applies for contracts below the thresholds or that have been excluded from the scope of application of the directives. So, in theory, what you say makes sense and it's logic. In practice, there's been some concessions to that principle. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the fact that we use, that we follow uh, EU public procurement directives because thresholds are, are met, is based on assumptions that such contracts, that such contracts might interest the contractors from other member states. And as you said, that's the only principle because I can clearly imagine situation when we deal with the contract which is above the threshold, but still it doesn't mean that it has to have a certain cross-border interest and quite the contrary. I clearly can imagine the situation when we deal with the contract which is below the financial threshold and it has a certain 
cross-border interest. So this is the question whether thresholds are good factors to decide whether we deal or not with cross-border interests. And of course, the Court of Justice in its uh, case law said something about cross-border interests. I mean, whether there are some factors to rise to cross-border interests and uh, they uh, related not only to a significant value of the contract, but also to the, for instance, place where the works or services are to be carried out or technical characters of the market, but still this depends on, on the case law of the Court of Justice. And in one case, the court can say that due to the fact that the place are to be done somewhere, there is a cross-border interest. And in the second case, the court can say that there is no cross-border interest, and that's the problem. I find that fascinating that defining the application of the legal regime would for many contracts, the contracts below the thresholds would depend on these almost hypothetical analyses or theoretical scenario that a contracting authority needs to go through before they launch a procedure. So before they decide if they're going to actually comply with the EU principles, because the contract has the cross-border interest, they need to reach the conclusion that the contract has cross-border interest, which is almost a catch-22 situation because it's impossible for you to do without doing it. So how can you be certain that there is cross-border interest if you haven't advertised a contract and if you've not allowed companies outside your own member state to participate in the procedure? I do agree with your conclusion. That's, that's the main problem, that in theory, everything looks good. So we need to follow some equal treatment, some competition. So the more open contracts are, the better. So in theory, a notion of cross-border interest and, and the case of cross-border interest is, is, uh, is okay. But when we deal it, when we look at practical things, that's the problem. The problems might arise. And, and for me, even more fascinating is that we base our analysis on the case law of, of the Court of Justice. Because what you said, it's absolutely true. But from my point of view, the problem is not only the fact that the notion of cross-border interest is hypothetical, but also that these rules are being created by the Court of Justice. So the main problem is that these rules, why we should deal with cross-border interest in principle, are not written in the, in the secondary law, in, in directives, but are created by the Court of Justice, uh, acting as a political actor, and we deal sometimes with, with the situation where the judgments uh, being delivered on the same day are different, like in the case of Comunidad Ancona and Belgacom, as far as cross-border interest is concerned. And from my perspective, is this is even the bigger uh, problem, apart from the fact that this is hypothetical notion, hypothetical situation. Yeah, I agree with you, because effectively, it's almost like every time that the Court of Justice produces a decision about cross-border interest, it comes up with a slightly different answer to the problem. And I remember when I was doing some investigation on this topic a couple of years ago, that instead of seeing any consistency in the approach, what I saw was a very casuistic way to try to solve things. So the Court of Justice would say, oh, in this case, we think that cross-border interest means this. In another case, cross-border interest means something else, and so on and so forth. So it makes life really difficult for uh, practitioners that 
want to apply public procurement rules or at least the principles to be sure that they are doing the right thing. Now, moving on to the second question, that is the situation that we have now. If we could improve the test, what do you think that should be done? Yeah, that's a very good question because, frankly speaking, I think that I don't know the exact answer, but there are some potential solutions. The one could be uh, proposed some time ago by Eleanor Sharpstone in their opinion. So, leaving the decision how to deal with uh, cross-border interests to national authorities. So, national authorities should decide whether they, for instance, cut thresholds to the very minimum or whether they apply some quantitative tests. And this, of course, would be in line with the principle of subsidiarity. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that it wouldn't resolve the question of certainty, because I can clearly imagine the situation where we deal with uh, a different uh, law in member states. So there is uh, other solutions, which is a very, in my opinion, radical, but it's, it's very interesting. And it was proposed, as far as I'm concerned, by you. So to cut thresholds or, or to cut it to the very minimum, then we will open a public procurement market for almost all the procurement cases and in general i do agree with, with such approach but i have one doubt this is a solution which is good for experienced procurement markets and if i look at polish market i would be very afraid whether some polish contracting authorities would deal in a good manner with all the public procurement cases. For instance, if we have some uh, thresholds and we can deal below this uh, threshold with, with some, let's say, easier procedures, then for contractors is a good way. And then if we uh, cut thresholds and we have to apply the whole procedure, even if new directives are more flexible, so also domestic law should be more flexible, then I am afraid that a lot of contracts will be finished or that a lot of contractors decide not to start in such procedures so they don't want to follow all these rules which are set forth in, in directives. So this is my only fear as regards this second solution. It can be said that those contracts now, they need to be tendered anyway. So the contracting authorities already have the capacity issue of having to do it in the best way possible, even if the contracts are not subject to EU law. Yes, but the rules are in such cases easier. Yes, Of, of course, you have to advertise or publicize the contract. You have to uh, deal with some competitive rules and uh, there should be judicial uh, protections. Nonetheless, the rules are not so very specific, yes, and it depends on the contracting authorities, how they deal with the tender. And if they decide to give some flexible solutions, they can do it. And if we are under, under directives and under law implementing directives, we have to deal precisely in line with them. It's very interesting what you say, because my experience in other member states is actually that below the thresholds, 
to a certain extent, what tends to happen is that the practice that contracting authorities developed above the thresholds just comes down without adaptations. Have you seen okay. that happening in Poland? Polish market below threshold is rather flexible. So the problem is rather whether we should deal with some more general principles or not, because I would say that I can even divide three categories of procurement in Poland. One of them is the one which is in line with public procurement law and in line with directives. The second, which is in line with uh, principles because it has a cross-border interest and it, just, it is clear that it has cross-border interest. And the third one, which is uh, <laughs> the most interesting when we are not sure whether we deal with cross-border interests or not, and we are sure that we are out of the scope of public procurement directives, but we are not sure whether we are out of the scope of general principles. And in such case, in general, in Poland, the approach is rather liberal. It's flexible than conservative. Okay, very well. Moving on to the next topic. You work both in academia and outside academia as a legal advisor or as a lawyer. What is your experience doing that kind of work? Because it's not very common in the UK. And what are the advantages and the disadvantages that you see on that? That's always a challenge. It's always a challenge because you have to deal both with expectations of academia and expectation of the clients. As regards advantages, so what I see that I am dealing with public procurement cases as a lawyer and I can use it in my academia. For instance, when I am teaching classes, I can give my students practical cases, practical information. I can say to them that in theory the provision says that, but in practice it looks like that. On the other hand, my clients sometimes say that for them also there is a good point that I'm an academic and I know a case law of Court of Justice, for instance, because once more, looking at the provisions, they can say that we have nothing with EU law if we are below threshold. And then I can say to them, no, 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 no. We have to uh, follow some rules because Court of Justice says that such contracts also can have a cross-border interest. So this advantage is, uh, as I already mentioned, that uh, in principle, that's a challenge, that I am a part-time academic and a part-time lawyer, and always in such cases, something can lose in a specific time, and this is also the answer. The question I have to answer shortly, which way I should go. So you think that in the near future you're going to go one way or the other? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can relate to your problems. Um, when I was a lawyer, I, I was trying to do my master's at the same time. It just didn't work out, so um, I couldn't make it work. I had to make a decision, and in the end, I, I made a decision to move to academia. But even to this day, I still uh, maintain the very analytical and very practical mindset that comes with the fact that I was, I was a lawyer for four or five years, which pretty much sets me apart from most of my colleagues. And in your case, it's going to be even more than that because you've been a lawyer for longer. So what do you think that you can bring, if you move to academia full-time in the future, let's say that that's a scenario on the table, what are you going to bring from your experience as a lawyer into your academic work? I think that 
the most important thing would be focusing on some practical issues because of course all the theoretical debates are interesting but in general even if i in my opinion public procurement law is very interesting academic discipline and what we are seeing now as regards the the case law of the of the court of justice is is pretty interesting and and we also deal with with the with the issue for instance of of codification of case law so these are real important legal theoretical issues but for me public procurement law first and foremost is a practical discipline and when we are dealing with some solutions we should focus on practical implications of our research not only the general discussion on theoretical grants we still have a few minutes and i have a final question for you what do you think is the next frontier for public procurement for example what are we not talking about that we should for me something which can or should be discussed in the future is the transatlantic trade and investment partnership ttip international agreement to be concluded between the united states and the european union and it is for us i mean for public procurement lawyers interesting because it relates to public procurement public procurement are the area which is discussed now between the united states and the european union and the aims of this uh, agreements are enough interesting for us because in general the european union wants to enable eu firms to bid for a, a larger market larger share of the products and and services which us public authorities buy in my opinion the aim behind that is that the european union would expect that public tendering market in, in the united states will be as open as the european union is seeing eu market or that the US market will be based on the same transparency or maybe not the same but similar transparency and non-discrimination rules and uh, to be perfectly frank i am not so sure whether the US public authorities are prepared for that because uh, of course they I'm, i'm pretty sure that they follow non-discrimination transparency rules and and so on but as we were discussing transparency and non-discrimination rules are interpreted by eu institutions and and the court of justice and the commission in particular in a very expansive way and in my opinion it's going to be a interesting catch between the united states and the european union in this area i think that's a very good way to finish the podcast thank you very much for your time peter thank you very much pedro you can find me at my blog tales.eu or on twitter where i use two handles at detic for general discussion and at public procure for public procurement related topics as ever i'm very grateful to the british academy for sponsoring this program And I'll see you next time.